because it's just I can't do I can't I can't I can't go to Africa and then back to Paris and then back there. So now mm. I think pretty much pretty much pretty much Glasgow for the foreseeable future. Yeah, and like that doesn't mean Loch Lomond or Edinburgh or Dundee or anywhere else. It means south side of Glasgow. That's yeah. it. Head down, head down. That's all you got to do. Focus, you know. Got got stuff stuff on, haven't you? So I totally get that as well. Um, all right, we're live, everybody. Welcome to Brain Food Live on air, bringing it to you every Friday, no fail. It is episode two one eight, um, and we are back on course. Thanks for everyone for tuning in midweek. By the way, I think we managed to recover. Uh, last week's disastrous episode. By the way, Adam, you did well to skip out of that um, because it was the, the first time ever we had a disaster. Uh, but we managed to redo it with Andy, uh, Andy Foot on Wednesday, and that was a fantastic show. Uh, go and check out uh, the Crowdcast channel if you've missed that and you want to get a replay. Um, in the interim, we're going to go on to our next uh, uh, topic, uh, which is going to be turning employees into LinkedIn talent influencers. Um, it's going to be a fantastic show, uh, really based on or inspired by a case study I read um, uh, a couple of weeks ago about Cisco uh, training 84,000 of their employees on how to use LinkedIn um, and converting them into people that were happy to talk about how cool Cisco was. Um, and apparently they, they did marvelous things there. So I, I was wondering, OK, how do they do that? Um, and is there a way in which we could potentially learn a few things from there? Um, so that's basically the topic of today's show. But let's do some sound checks just to make sure everything's okay, folks. Uh, if you're in uh, Crowdcast right now, um, can you let me know whether you can uh, see and hear uh, myself and Adam all right? Um, uh, do let us know in the chat uh, whether audio video is okay. Um, we should be broadcasting this live on LinkedIn, Twitter, and Facebook by various means. Um, so if you can hear or see us there, do let us know um, how all of that is looking. Uh, let me just quick check the phone. My secondary screen is an iPhone. It's how low-fi we are. Um, give me a sec. One of these days, I, I need to get a studio set up or something, you know? Um, okay, we look as if we're all right on LinkedIn. That's fine. All right, looks like it's all good. Well and good. Let's crack on uh, through to our show. Um, quick shout out, obviously, to our sponsors, folks, before we kick, uh, continue any further. Um, every week, a company is sponsoring Brain Food Live on Air. Without that support, we couldn't bring these conversations to you. Um, so please do uh, give a warm round of digital applause to our sponsors, in particular this week. Uh, to one of the most popular and outstanding products um, in the ATS space. It is Greenhouse, folks. Greenhouse.com, uh, Greenhouse.io even. I think both of those belong to Greenhouse these days. Um, but um, do check them out if you're looking to upgrade to an enterprise-grade C uh, ATS. Um, uh, one of the most popular products in the brain food community. Definitely something you need to think about if you're switching tack. Um, also, they have a very good resource program that's starting to build in their kind of website. So do check out uh, greenhouse.com forward slash hire. Uh, tons of resources there for uh, recruiters that want to get better at their jobs. Okay, cool. Um, let's get on with it. We'll welcome, uh, welcome back, Adam Gordon. Welcome back sort of uh, digitally and physically. Um, so good to see you, mate. Um, how, how have you been? How, how uh, you talk, we're talking about your uh, sort of uh, 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 how do you say your 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 onboarding back to Glasgow? So you're, you're back home. Um, has that been okay? Uh, yeah, the two things actually, I guess, and they they conflict with each other. I think 
The first is I'm at a very low ebb because of the uh, weather in Glasgow and uh, being in the UK. I'd, ra I'd just rather have stayed in France. Um, and then the second uh, thing is, uh, yeah, I'm just really busy starting a new company and uh, that's very exciting. So down because of the weather, up professionally. Yeah, and obviously, um, more than happy for you to tell people what that is. It's uh, all about recruitment, recruitment enablement, folks, in case you didn't know. Um, so if you're interested in optimizing your TA function, or if you're a recruitment agency, uh, which I actually think could be an even bigger market here, if you want to just optimize their, their capabilities, uh, this may be a very useful proposition to look into. Um, so do check that out. Um, PoetryHR.com, is it? Have you got that domain? Yeah, that's right. I'll, if you don't mind, I will just share it in the chat. Yeah, Anybody, recruiter enablement has been very neglected, and there's a gaping hole uh, in here. Uh, and honestly, some of the people I've met and interviewed for my uh, you know, YouTube channel on this subject are so inspiring. And Emmy Baradugo, who I interviewed this morning, who is like senior TA enablement manager at Elastic. Uh, honestly, what she's doing, she said when she, when she saw the advert for the job, she was like, I've done all of that, but that job is all of the best bits of all the jobs I've done in the past, all in one thing. It's just about getting better, you know? And so anyway, uh, Private Vita goes live on the 5th of September. Anybody that's interested in applying for that can do it at poetryhr.com. Yeah, and you got some fans already. Look at this from Chloe and uh, Haley and all these types of folks stepping up, stepping up to the recruitment enablement bandwagon. Here we go. Um, okay, let's get on with the show, man. Uh, did you have time to read the newsletter last week? If so, what was interesting? Adam, give us a few things we can talk about. Yeah, sure. Okay, so the first one is, um, I want to talk about, um, have you ever seen Gladiator? Of course. Yeah, of course. So yeah. the, young, the young emperor says, uh, says to Maximus, when they've defeated everybody, um, uh, don't get too comfortable, I may call upon you soon, right? In that snaky voice of his. Yeah. <clears throat> um, so it just reminded me, like, I was reminded of that when I saw the tweet stream about the points system in the American military for effectively, how do you get out of battle? All Maximus wanted to do was go home. And the guy's like, no, I'm going to bring you back, by the way. I'm going to need you. Uh, anyway, um, yeah, it was interesting to see the points system of how you got out of it. I mean, like the opposite of employee engagement here, right? It's like you've got to work hard in order to get out of this job that you don't that you don't want to do like what about what about people who want to do the job anyway the credits that you got 30 points for each month of service since a certain point in time um and it was 10 credits for every additional month that, every month of overseas there was credits for combat but then there was also parenthood credits which i thought was quite interesting another 12 points each for um, each each kids you had. So if you had five kids, then that was helping you get home more quickly. Um, feels like, yeah, there's something about, I thought they were trying to inspire people who wanted to go and fight for their country and fight for freedom, but then you could work your way out of it. I guess you didn't have to. You didn't have to leave if you hit the credit number, right? So no, maybe I a badge of honor, but I'm going to stay anyway. 
it, I don't think it was mandatory, but it was one of those, just for people's context, it was um, a tweet of a picture of an assessment card um, for US service personnel in World War II. Um, and, and basically, it was a, there was a quantified scoring system um, based on uh, sort of these, these parameters that Adam described. And it was all about, look, US service personnel deployed in Europe, um, uh, could you go home after sort of the, the defeat of Germany, or were you then redeployed to fight the Imperial uh, Japanese Army in the Pacific? Um, and it was one of those. To, it was a motivational tool uh, for people that uh, did serve a long time, did see combat, and then you know you were entitled then to leave. If you weren't, presumably there was penalties as well involved in this. By the way, I, I would imagine. If there was a lack of discipline or you know you could take some score off i'm sure that was discretionary for your nco whatever it might be and you might find yourself having to fight another enemy you know, th another thousands of miles away uh, the reason why i put that in because i thought you know what that is an, a, a way of assessing but it brings to mind sort of um you know the serious the serious business that's involved in in, in how we assess people um you know a life or death type scenario um and and yeah i thought it was very very poignant so um so anyway do check that out if you want to uh think about you know how people how we assess people and what that might mean um yeah the second one is um jonathan duarte's uh linkedin post about where is the ai in hr technology and He's done a good job, I think, of listing like there's some places where there is genuine AI, such as in resume matching, for example. Most of that's done on genuine AI. However, most of the focus of what he's put in here is just to point out automation is not AI. And a huge amount of the times that companies have said they've got AI baked in, they don't even know what they're talking about. They don't. They just don't. They've got workflow based if this, then, then that methodologies. Um, which which is not artificial intelligence. And see, at Candidate ID, we were absolutely uh, strict about this. We did not describe that as an artificial intelligence-based product because it was not one. Um, the AI that was in there was powered by other, by other organizations. And I think within ISIMS, it's probably dripping in AI now, but it certainly wasn't when we said it. And we were very, very strict about saying this is a, an excellent automation product. And there's other vendors out there who should really be a little bit more transparent about what they're actually doing. And in fact, the next product that I'm building is going to be dripping with, it already is dripping with generative AI, but there is not a chance we're going to use that term because apart from anything else, I think it's an absolute cliche now as well. So get, off the, get off the bandwagon, cut it out. It's table stakes. Do you, do you know what the what was interesting about Jonathan's observations? Um, and by the way, I had a chat with Jonathan online about this and he he, he confessed to being quite a... Uh, like a lurker stroke observer in, on the on on the internet generally, but he, he's actually now stepping into the fray um, because he thinks he's actually very important. So I'm I'm personally delighted to see this because Jonathan is uh, is a very intelligent uh, uh, contributor to the industry. So great yes. to see great visibility from him. Um, but he actually observed some really uh, made a really interesting observation, which was an advancement upon this confusion of AI and automation because he was thinking about you know what. The problem with companies uh, overemphasizing their AI-ness is that it might just expand the scope of legislation, of legislative scrutiny onto a larger number of HR products where, in fact, it shouldn't be there. So, for instance, right now, we know in the U.S. 
certainly I think in, in New York, for instance, Jacob Stem Madsen recently shared something in the group about the, one of the first cases actually uh, that um, a discriminatory action has been taken by a person who felt that AI is discriminating against them, etc. But if you call yourself AI, you put yourself as a big target for this legislation. Um, and suddenly you might then need to do AI audits and stuff like this, for instance. Whereas, in fact, if you just stuck to it and said, look, we're just an automate workflow automation tool, presumably you will not have to go through that process. So it might well be that we are uh, HR vendors or recruitment tech vendors are kind of feeling that the pressure to sell hard and AI up their product but inadvertently exposing themselves to legislative scrutiny, which isn't actually mapping to what their product does. Um, so it's a very, very interesting observation by Jonathan, worth bearing in mind, obviously, someone uh, you need to be following. Angela, you are late. That's unacceptable. What are you doing? Good Lord. Um, right. Okay. Uh, give us one more, uh, Adam. Uh, right. Okay. Let's talk about the um, benefits of using data it to inform your diversity well your ethnicity recruiting efforts so um this was an uh an essay by lily zheng in harvard business review uh kindly made available to us that website must be illegal is it not it's going to get stamped out that one you used to nothing get behind no, no, nothing I do is illegal, um, Adam. Come on. Okay. Um, so um, really, really useful, really useful article to, to, if like me, you're not good enough in this area. Uh, a couple of the do's were things like, yes, absolutely. Use racial data to inform your efforts. Aggregate this to preserve anonymity. Um, so that you don't use the group level insights, but you know there's not individuals that are uh, being like spotlit um, in this. Draw upon your racial data to identify inequalities and disparities within the recruiting process and within things like internal mobility um, and in management and, and leadership and pay related areas. Uh, it's not a difficult read. So for somebody like me who, who, who spend, I spend as much time as I can. That's a terrible thing to say. I, I need to know a lot more about all of this and I try to learn as much as I can about it. It's quite easy. Sometimes it gets, it gets too complicated for my brain to follow. Um, it is quite straightforward and, and really, really digestible. Yep. Yep. Cool. It's actually a really interesting, again, this is kind of from driven from US based legislation, but it's going to cascade into sort of the rest of how we do recruiting in uh, in, in the rest of the world, I think. Um, but essentially, um, there's, there's, there's affirmative action, so to speak, has been ruled out um, for university admissions. Um, so in other words, you cannot use racial data as the sole uh, determining factor to um, basically allow people into a certain universities. That's basically a rule that's recently been made. Now, the theory is, okay, if that's going to be the case in academia, that's going to set a precedent. And in fact, it's going to cascade through to professional work because there's going to be people who um, uh, might find themselves at the wrong end of decisions of this type and then start suing companies to say, listen, um, you've discriminated me uh, against me according to race. So anyway, there's, there's loads of conversations that are starting to emerge now 
to kind of teach TA and HR how to navigate this space. Because I think we all do want to have greater equity in the workplace. We all want to be legislatively compliant, um, but we also want to do so in such a way that we aren't discriminate, actively discriminating against people um, on something that is unrelated uh, to the work that they need to be doing. Um, and so, uh, so hence, um, Lily has written, I think, a very, very interesting essay on this. It's not a preachy one, so I know a lot of people might get turned off by you know, admonishing type of uh, content that just teaches people to do better, quote unquote. Um, it's not that. It actually gives you like some really practical, okay, here's a framework that I can, I can make this work uh, and do so in a more equitable way. And it feels to me like it might actually be a progressive step in any case, because it seems that it's, uh, it feels fairer to me when you look at it. Um, and it looks more practical also. So do check it out. I think that should be a mandatory read. Um, okay. Can we, can we just, can we just, just, just like 15 seconds, one more. Go on that then. stupid, that stupid dear Timmy letter from your former work family. <laughs> what was stupid about it? I mean, like, <laughs> I who it. cares? It's just not, it's just, it's just, no, it was good that you included it because it's funny, right? It is funny, but like, who cares if somebody calls their people a family or a something else like it, it's just it's it's just fluffy non nonsense it doesn't it doesn't matter i don't think it matters at all um if somebody calls them their work family or not I, I, your, your your work colleagues is not a family nobody thinks it is unless they've really got a unless they've really got like no grip on reality um yeah sure it's not it's not a family but it, michael but it, it does not matter Here's the question. Does it matter? Does it matter, folks? Um, and and I'm, I don't want to get into a debate about them on this right now, because I think it might actually be a very good topic for a future show. Um, like, how are we meant to describe an organization? Uh, some people like to say, hey, we're a company. Other people say we're a team. We're a tribe. We're a family. Are those metaphors wrong to use in what is a contractual relationship? Adam thinks it's complete trivia. Um, however, I think other people say it does matter. Vicky's saying it does matter. Like, are we misrepresenting the relationship? I think that's part of the problem. So, so one of the things I thought this piece was really good, it was a satirical letter, obviously. Uh, if you want to laugh, go and read it. Um, but essentially, it was uh, a dear Timmy letter. Um, uh, and it was a family evicting Timmy, their son. Um, due to economic conditions, um, and it was a, it was a basically saying, look, if it really is a family, this is the sort of thing you might have to write. Um, and I thought it was really interesting, Adam. I think you're very much in the minority. Uh, however, there's nothing no, wrong with I mean, being like, like a, a kind of a, a free radical on the edges of acceptability. So that's all fine. We'll we'll have this conversation at some point. Um, I think it's it's excited the audience there, so uh, we'll definitely do that. Anyway. We have to move on. Let's talk about employer branding. Let's talk about how you convert people into LinkedIn talent influencers. Um, let's get our crowd onto the scene and we'll see what's what. So we have we have Vicky. Let me just grab Vicky real quick because I've got to just chase, chase the chat down here. Um, main stage. I'm sure Big Rich is here as well. Back from his holiday. Big Rich Bradley, there he is. Boom. Back from his holiday and straight down Brick Lane. Is he in Brick Lane? He was last night. <laughs> why? Why are you in Brick Lane? And if you are in Brick Lane tonight, uh, Rich, hit me up. I'm 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 out, mountain about tonight, as I have Sorry. been every night this week. I'm absolutely knackered, but I have to keep going out. So let's see how we go. There she is. There's there's a marvelous Vicky in what looks like a, a marvelous patio of some type. So um, certainly, uh, 
better location than me. There's Richard as well. Great stuff. Marianne Jarzak is coming on. Let's do some quick introductions. Vicky, would you like to quickly introduce yourself? Who are you? What it is you do? Yeah, so I'm Vicky. I've looked after the employer brand and EVP teams at Curry's, BAE Systems and Boots over the last eight years. Fantastic stuff. And making your debut on Brave Food Live, I think, Vicky. So very much welcome Thank to you. you. Um, we have Richard Bradley here as well. Rich, can you quickly introduce yourself? Who are you? What is you do? Hi, Hung. Yeah, of course I can. I'm Richard Bradley. I have been in the RPO talent space for about the last 25 years um, and continue to make things up as I go along. Oh, wow. Hey, hey, Rich, I think it could be a kind of a dodgy wire on your mic, by the way. I think um, it's Marion's, actually. Is it, is it Marion's? Okay, yeah, it might be you, Marianne. Sorry, just to get, yeah, that might be a useful thing to do. Um, so, so Marion, can you hear us? Oh, we can't hear you. Oh, we can't I hear you now. Mute your, unmute yourself in some way. Oh, you might need to refresh and come back in. I think basically unplugging the mic might, might, might uh, confuse the things. Sorry. Uh, re refresh back, Marion, and then come back. No, it's fine. Um, these things happen um dodgy wise indeed so um um but uh great to see you two on board which is fantastic stuff um uh, let's i mean when i read the cisco article i was like super impressed by the scale of it um and also the obviousness of it and in, in, in terms of you know um uh, this seemed to be something that you know, why don't more companies do it? So I wanted to just uh, outline um, uh, what your thoughts are on the proposition. Um, and I guess deal with it in two ways. Number one, why do you think this doesn't happen more often? And number two, if we were to do something similar or replicate it, what would the how-to be? Uh, but Marion, let's do a quick check-in with you. Can you hear us okay? I hope the mic doesn't work now. Yeah, Good. perfect. We can hear you right. great. Marion, why don't you quickly introduce yourself? Uh, who are you? What it is you do? I'm very excited to be here today, the German among the Brits. Uh, I'm Marianne. Uh, I'm um, expert in employer brand for about eight years in different companies, mainly in the Berlin space. And I'm super excited to be here today. Great to see you, Marianne, um, and welcome to the show. So on to this idea. Um, why, do, um, uh, why don't more companies do the obvious? Because it seems to me it wasn't much genius behind what Cisco did, um, you know, what are the blockers behind that? Um, Vicky, why don't we go with you to kick off with? Um, what are your thoughts? Yeah, so I think two big things come to mind for me. Um, one about resource. So particularly if you have an organization of people who are customer facing, it's that investment of time, taking people away from their roles to be able to be trained and to be able to do these things. And it's partly about appetite as well. So for a lot of people, this is quite scary stuff. They're scared of getting it wrong. And so I think it's about, about those two things. I think what Cisco did well is that they recognized it required training. Do you know what I mean? They didn't just throw people onto LinkedIn and go sink or swim. You know, they trained, you know, all of those people. But to me, it's about that return on investment business case for taking people away from the day jobs to be able to do this work is probably why organizations don't do more of it. Brilliant. So two things. First of all, let's deal with the training aspect of it. I think all of us have probably exhorted our colleagues to do more on LinkedIn and then just been stunned as to why they don't do anything on LinkedIn. Guess what, folks? The reason why most people don't is because LinkedIn is actually a very unfamiliar place 
for our most normal people. Um, recruiters are the only type of individual that signs into LinkedIn every day. Um, and I, I, I'm, I'm ashamed to say that I've probably logged into LinkedIn every single day for the last decade or more. Um, I, I'm, I'm pretty certain that's the case. Not a single day has gone by without me at least checking something on LinkedIn. That's aberrant behavior. Um, that is completely as aberration. Most human beings, most normal civilians do not do this. Um, they set up a LinkedIn profile, set and forget. They look at it once they're looking for work, like two, three years down the line, and that's totally new to them. So imagine you're walking around in a social network where you have literally not logged in, might have forgotten the password, you don't even know how to behave, you don't know what the rules are, and you're being told, oh, do this. They're like me telling you, go and do some TikToks. It's like, no clue, right? So you've got to train people, number one. Um, and the second thing you said, okay, you've got to have buy-in on it, because obviously um, you're training people to do something that is outside of the remit, um, and you know, the pushback I can imagine might be, hey, aren't you marketing? You should do that. Or aren't you recruitment? It's your job. Um, so so there's a, that kind of internal dialogue that needs to be had in order to unblock that. Um, okay. Uh, what, what are the reasons might there be for why this doesn't happen more often? Uh, let's go with you, Marianne. Uh, no, I think I would actually agree with Vicky. I think, um, you know, one main reason, at least from my experience, is really also this um, fear of losing control. Uh, I think, you know, this probably uh, can apply to like larger organizations, probably not that much to startups, but from my experience, as soon as they scale up, there's, you know, at the third stage, this uh, very fancy uh, thingy about IPO. Everyone gets afraid, you know, what employees are going to, to tell uh, externally about the company and, you know, they want to regain control. So I think, you know, this fear of letting go or just, you know, um, giving power to employees to frame the story is, I think, a big uh, blocker. Sometimes. But I would also agree to Vicky with, uh, yeah, it's resources and, and budgets probably to, to really prep on training uh, to onboard your employees. Yeah, so the sense of control is important. Um, and, and I guess that, you know, I, I mean, maybe you could even say that the certain functions within a business that might see it very territorially to say, it's our job to do employer branding or our job to do TA. Um, and they don't want that to, to escape. I can imagine that scenario occurring where, let's say I've designed my EV plan or something. Uh, do yes. I want like engineering to have a go at this without me scrutinizing every post or you know confirming everything? Do, do you remember actually? I, I don't I don't think um, these companies do it anymore, but I think it was PwC. Caveat: I'm not sure what it was. Do please check. But it was PwC that suddenly had all of their employees actually having identical LinkedIn profiles. You know, they had the same photo, they had the same copy, and it was all that. Is it like okay, wow. Well, it's like hung <clears> so limited. I can tell you a bit about that because in two, between 2009 and 2000, you're responsible for it. Your idea. Between, between 2009 and 2012, I worked with each of the big four plus Grant Thornton and BDO extensively and Baker Tilly. That was the top eight firms in the in uh, seven firms in in the UK, maybe the world. And uh, KPMG all had a blue background. Grant Thornton were all black and white. I I put together social media guidelines and did masses of training and things like that for all of them. Yeah, so that might have been it. Like you're, you're responsible, Adam. Um, you've, for some of it, I am. Scared, 
scared people to such an extent that they actually went and did like a, a, a kind of a, a, an identical kind of approach, which I can understand from a branding point of view, but it was like a little bit intimidating to see that volume of people literally army. representing exactly, yeah, a tall army type of feel. Um, let's go to you with the same question, Rich. I mean, with your perspective, I mean, I guess both with a big organization like Kelly, but also mm -hmm. consulting and operating with other big companies, what have you seen as your blockers? Um, you know, not your blockers, but what have you seen as a typical blocker that stops similar types of uh, projects like uh, the Cisco example? Well, I'm probably going to come up with a politician's answer, Hung, and answer my own question and not yours. Um, <laughs> and, and, I, and I think what that is, is the thought of 84,000 people becoming LinkedIn influencers frightens the bejesus out of me. Um, I don't honestly see loads of value in it, is the, hon is the honest truth. Um, we at Kelly, and I'm total transparency, we use uh, an everyone social platform and you get two groups of people. You get people like me that see something, we put a comment on it, we make it our own, we personalise it, we send it out there. I'd like to think it has some value. The other half of the people in our organisation are those people hung like you said, they don't really get it, they don't understand it, they feel they ought to do it and they just press send and out goes a corporate, banal, boring message. And there are hundreds and hundreds of thousands of those going out on LinkedIn every day. And I think it's a waste of time. Where I think the value comes and where I think, if I was like a Cisco and where we try to advise our organizations and organizations who are working, is if you're gonna put that sort of resource and effort into a LinkedIn strategy, make it meaningful. And by that, I'm saying, you use that to push referral programs. So what we're using is we work with tools like HireUp to engage exactly in the same sort of way that Cisco are doing, but rather than trying to make it for the masses, we try and say, okay, who, who are the influential people within the organization? Who do people wanna, wanna engage with? And how do, we, how do we take some time to get those people involved? Because, you know, the, the blockers, uh, as Marion has said, is people are scared. They're not sure. To your point, if you're if you're working for a life sciences organisation and you've got Doctor So and So, their first thing is not to go onto LinkedIn to try and be a LinkedIn influencer. And if you try to tell them to be a LinkedIn influencer, I don't think they're going to be interested. If you can work with them to get them to engage with their community with content and tell them the value that you can and how that's going to hire them better quality people and turn that more into a referral program, that's where the value comes from, in my opinion. The last thing I think LinkedIn needs is, is hundreds more people thinking that they're influencers. What are your thoughts on that uh, view from Richard there? Um, he's basically, I wouldn't say criticizing the example. No, I'm not criticizing. But, but, but I think it's fair to say, like, do we actually need a lot of semi-motivated people, let's say? Or, you know, it's a sense that you don't want to dragoon people into doing something that they're not comfortable with. Um, and maybe there's a way you can identify individuals that, you know, have a proclivity to, to doing the communications. Um, and they could be from any department, um, but getting them involved and surfacing them up in some way um, rather than, you know, the blanket uh, approach. Um, so let me know your thoughts on this. Um, folks, so, um, go ahead, uh, Vicky. So I was, I was going to say, I, I, I agree with Rich in that not everyone is cut out to be an influencer and there is very little value in matching luggage plastering the whole of LinkedIn with the same messaging to me 
where I've seen advocacy done brilliantly, it's it's not been about that. It's been through people who are passionate talking about stuff that they are passionate about, by which I mean that it's not about you know regurgitating the pillars of the EVP and giving everybody you know the same assets to be able to go out and put stuff on LinkedIn. It's about supporting the colleagues to talk about the stuff that they're passionate about. Have, have we got have we got two seconds for a little bit of neuroscience on this, Hung? We've got many seconds. Go ahead. Cool. Neuroscience. So, so the the reason that advocacy works is because of the brain chemistry that it triggers in the person who is the receiver of the advocacy. So there are about seven brain functions that that respond when you see somebody talking about something passionately. One of them are in two parts of the brain. There are things called mirror neurons, and and they have only been discovered in the 1990s. But these neurons in the parts of the brain, and these these parts of the brain are responsible for cognitive function as well as motor function. So they impact on decision making. These mirror neurons trigger naturally in us as a human species when we see someone else talking about something passionately if the passion isn't there the credibility isn't there and it doesn't create that response in the brain therefore it it, that the power of it just isn't there it just won't work from a neuroscience point of view fascinating i like that Marion, come in with this because you're doing psychology aren't you mate um go and don't contradict vicky on this no, 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 I'm not a neuroscience expert, unfortunately, but I really love your, uh, your, your lesson on this, Vicky. Uh, but I, I, I am really, you know, passionate about psychology. Um, well, in my opinion, you know, uh, I absolutely agree with uh, Richard and Vicky that you need to have like the, the right people, uh, you know, talking on behalf of your brand. And it needs to be authentic and, and credible. And obviously, you don't want to, you know, have all employees just send out these corporate mouthpiece messages. Um, but I do also think to, to kickstart something, you know, in the direction of employee advocacy or, or brand ambassadorship, if you're in a very, you know, let's say closed organization or, you know, an organization which, you know, haven't or hasn't, um, you know, started the, this path yet. Uh, I think it's a it's a legit way, you know, to start with these messages and slowly engage uh, employees in, in sharing this. Because I think what we also need to keep in mind is that there are so so you know so many cultural differences on how people communicate or how active they are with social media. I was just thinking about this, you know, before I, I joined this uh, conversation um, because you know I think we all know it. There are differences between departments, sales or marketing people are much more likely, you know, to to go on socials and uh, and post something where, you know, tech talents are maybe a little bit more uh, reluctant uh, in, in that. But I think it also comes down to like, let's say more, you know, cultural differences in terms of location, because, you know, I always worked in organizations where there were a lot of experts from the US or UK, and I'm, I, I was always so happy with them because they go out there and they post and they, you know, spread the positive uh, word of mouth. Whereas I think, you know, with Germans, for example, you need to kick their ass a little bit sometimes. And I think, you know, when it comes to this, it's it's really great way to, you know, first onboard them slowly and, 
make them share these messages and then, you know, let them draft their own messages later on when they feel really comfy and really happy to also you know, go out there and, and spread the word. I think there's something to be said for that, the comfort zone. It's start right. with the comfort zone. Um, the way we approached this at Boots was um, we started people off um, with a focus, with inspiration around the CSR agenda. Okay, so it was around the work that Boots does with Macmillan Cancer Care. So there are all of the number seven advisors in stores are trained in how to give makeovers for women who have just been through chemo, etc. That kind of story is something that talks from the heart, but also it's relatively safe. You're not going to get trolled on the Internet by talking about number seven advisors supporting people who've been through chemo. And that that then reduces the risk and that helps people talk about something in a safer way that then just builds their confidence over time. So it's about starting small, starting with stuff that they're passionate about and stuff that is, you know, it's relatively safe. You know, you're not going to start talking about whether a company's paid their tax or not because you're going to get hounded on the Internet. Do you know what I mean? It's it's about picking those right topics as well. Yeah, I mean, Vicky, I'd, I'd say that look, that resonates with me really, really well. And I think that's a great example. And look, Hung will know me well enough to know that I always try to be a little provocative and always try and stir the pot. And, you know, do I think there's value in it? Of course I do. But I think, Vicky, I think you, you, you've pulled out some really important points. And I've seen a number of people use the word authenticity in, in the chat. And I think if you, for me, if you've got 84,000 people sending out a corporate message, please don't do it. Just use your, you, use your assets and your resource in a better way. But to your point, if, there is a, if there's a really good message within the organization that is authentic, that is personal, and people can reach out in that way, I think there's tons and tons of value in that. Um, and I'm not sure I've quite got all of the, the psychological stuff, but it's made me think, actually, there's a lot more that goes on than perhaps meets the eye. So I think that was a, a great share. Guys, I need to just quickly intercede um, because we're using the 84,000 figure and that's like connected to, to Cisco. But I don't think Cisco did kind of instruct their people to post in this way. Um, I think what they did do was to try and increase the comfort level of the entire organization to post. Um, and I believe they give them, if you like, more license in order to, to activate if they wanted to, which is kind of where we're going. So I think we all agree. Yeah. If we have the three line whip coming from the top to say everyone share these assets and post it about, generally speaking, that's just noise into the internet and no one wants that. And it's actually very ineffective. Um, and it, it, it's diseffective for, for the individual user. Uh, and no one likes to see that type of uh, the stuff replicated through uh, for no purpose. But the idea of up-leveling or just increasing the confidence level of the entire organization in order to post if they wanted to, I think is a really valuable kind of concept to keep in mind because you're not saying, you know what, only marketing can say this or only EB can say this. Anybody who's an employee of the company is is ipso facto a representative of the, of, of, of the company and you're entitled to do so. But here, why don't we give you some training in order to, for you to feel comfortable to do so if you wanted to. I think that's a very easy message uh, to understand. And, and hopefully, you know, one of the things, if we can achieve one thing in this conversation, we could kind of change that view from, hey, just using people as distribution sort of amplification channels, which is not what we want. Adam, you're saying something, I think? No? 
No, except uh, I do want to just give a bit of personal promotion out there. I, I've uh, I posted three, <laughs> I've posted three uh, links to things that I've written about this subject. And I draw your attention, if you're in uh, cash or treasury management, to the article, um, how to be magnetic and compelling on social media to attract the best treasury talent, uh, which is one of my favorites from March 2017. It's an interview with the editor of that publication. So please go and uh, check that out. This, this is, I've never seen such shameless self-promotion. I'm, I'm, a, I'm a self-promoter anyway. <laughs> But you're dragging stuff up from two. It's only a it's only a joke because it's about attracting <laughs> the best treasury exactly. talent for cash and treasury mag magazine. Any content from 2017 is completely defunct by this. Time. No, <laughs> it's, class it's classic. No, we're, all right. Listen, we we have to take a mini break because we always do this in the middle of every show, folks. Very important that Brain Food Live is a conversation starting show that is never a conversation stopper. Um, but we do need to come off air in about twenty minutes or so. Um, and it would be a shame if we were we had to kill this conversation when we. This is obviously just getting started. So do make sure that you connect with everyone who's involved in this conversation. The way you do it is very simple. Grab your LinkedIn URL and just share it in the chat stream if you're watching it on Crowdcast. If you're watching this on any of the LinkedIn channels, share it into the comment thread in those places and then just connect with everyone else who's done the same. Um, there's people here that have, that every week they gain 50, 60, 70 new connections simply by turning up to Brain Food Live, talking about these types of topics. If you care about EB, employee advocacy, how to get more people advocating for your business, um, uh, then do connect with those people because there you can continue this conversation when we have to go off the air. Um, okay, um, I want to talk about the cultural context. I think that's important. There's two ways to think about this. Cultural context departmentally um, and cultural context like nationally or regionally um, because I think that's quite an interesting thing to think about. Like, Are there certain departments that are kind of more comfortable with going on, on, on onto social media or particularly LinkedIn, I think the answer has got to be yes. I mean, we've already talked about recruiters being like native to this platform, but there's probably like the, the further away they are from the sales world, the less comfortable they're going to be. So do we need to then, let's say, provide more support uh, to people that are further away from the platform? Imagine. Uh, let's say finance people are particularly distant from, from LinkedIn. Do we need to give extra support and training for these people if, in fact, we want to, you know, improve our advocacy there? Do we vary the training uh, to, uh, to, to uh, us in a departmental level? And the second point, which we'll deal with a bit later, do we look at regional kind of or, or kind of national stereotypes? Stereotypes not in a bad way, but, you know, as a, as a persona, and just assume, you know what, certain types of culture are going to be more uh, able to have these types of conversations. Other parts, certainly not. Maybe we need to be culturally sensitive that way. And how do we get the best out of that? Uh, let's, let's talk about departmentally. Uh, Rich, let's go to you on this. What are your thoughts? Uh, are there different mini cultures within a business departmentally? And should we vary our, our support on this? Like we want the engineers to talk more about how cool engineering is. Do we need to give them specific guidance? Yeah, I, I think I think whether we're talking about this or, or any other subjects, I mean, you know, I, I pushed the whole referral angle and we work, as I said, with a with a company called Higher Up and we do a lot of work um, with trying to look at how we promote those referrals through social networks. And 
the way that we do that is different exactly to your point is not just at a country level but with a departmental level so you might be working in in london and you're talking to an it community is going to be different to how you're talking to the finance community and what they want to talk about and how comfortable they are and in some respects also the amount of connections and um, value that they place on that platform changes as well. So I think I think there's a lot to be done. And look, it sounded like I was poo-pooing the Cisco piece. I really wasn't. And I think what what struck me in that Cisco piece was exactly that. They really did spend time thinking about what they wanted to achieve and how they wanted to get that audience to engage and understand. And I think it's like anything, one size fits all doesn't work. I think there has to be an element of, I'm not saying it has to be, everything has to be bespoke, because when you start using words like bespoke, it increased costs. But I think there is an element to, um, to understand the audience you're talking to and what you want to get out of that. And that doesn't take an awful lot of effort to be able to just tweak it that little bit. Um, and I think that's great. And, and you know, Marion's already alluded that Germany would approach things in a very different way to perhaps the English or the French or or maybe even those that are up in Newcastle, which is a <laughs> which is which, which is a country to its own, hung, as we all know. They are different indeed. Language. But I, don't, I think the Geordies would be good at this, to be honest. Um, yeah. Uh, but uh, but yeah, d- different stereotypes. I think there is national what is acceptable, what is not acceptable. Those things, there are cultural differences that way. I think that's normal. Um, and we've just got to figure out, you know, if you want to activate certain areas of the world, you need to think, okay, how do we exactly do that? Uh, and may, and maybe being a LinkedIn influencer isn't uh, isn't that way. Um, okay, I, let's I, shift. I, Go ahead, Dan. I've, I've actually got an interesting, an interesting, um, sh- very short story about that subject, though. So, uh, is it this century, though, Adam? Is it is is it within the last it, decade? Is it the, uh, not not really? No, well, no, it's not. But <laughs> it's, it is it is relevant, right? So. 2000, I did loads of work training companies on how to use social media between 2009 and 2012 or 13. And I had three main customer groups, accountancy firms, legal firms, and marketing agencies. And I did a lot of work with um, the WPP companies like Ogilvy and YNR and Wonderman, these big um, like comms agencies, which would work to help their companies to market and promote their products and services and things like that. You would expect those people to be brilliant at self-promotion, but they were miles, miles worse than the, the partners in the, in the accountancy firms. They were great at selling themselves as individuals. The people in the marketing agencies weren't. So if you think about it in the context of a company, you would expect all the people in marketing and comms to be great at doing that stuff on LinkedIn um, and maybe the people in finance and legal and whatever to be terrible about it. And to be fair, the lawyers were the worst. They were absolutely terrible, but um, only a little bit better than them were all these people in these big marketing agencies, like top of their game, amazing communicators and really poor at promoting themselves and, you know, their own persona on social media. Yeah. So this is this is actually one of the key things to unlock, isn't it? Because you can't identify who would be a powerful influencer or a, a, a powerful advocate for your business 
by their job title or their location in a department. It could be anybody. You just don't know. I mean, this is one of the things that we've discovered with things like TikTok, for instance, that the leading TikTokers are not the leading YouTubers. They're totally different types of people. And every network seems to produce different types of uh, uh, different personalities that seem to be really good. So how do we unlock that? How do we surface those folks up? Um, let's talk about this. Um, let's agree that we want to, to try and do this in the right way, not to use it purely as like ampl dumb amplification channels, but we want to activate the people uh, so that they are happy to advocate, do so in their own way, um, and, and, and get the results that Cisco claim they have. Let's uh, take it as read that Cisco did get this, uh, and they had some really interesting stats to share, didn't they? They said something like they cut their time to hire significantly, um, cost per hire went down, the rate of hire went up, all of these things that you might expect to happen from a, a, a effectively um, a referral a scheme uh, supercharged by having a lot more people advocating for brand. Um, so uh, we're coaching a TA person that is going to do this. It's not about, you know, they've decided, they've committed, they're going to try and, 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 and implement uh, employee advocacy. What advice are you going to give those people? Let's go around. Um, Vicky, let's go with you. So I, uh, this links a little bit to my point would link a little bit to the last one around culture. I think you're going to, you're going to get more people coming forward if they see their leaders walking the walk. Yeah. So culturally, if they don't see everyone else doing it, then it, they're not sure if it's allowed, you know, is that we need to remove the idea about whether it needs to, you know, whether you need permission to be able to do it. So we've talked about the tools to unlock it. And we've talked about making sure it's from the heart. I think it's also about seeing leaders getting involved as well. Right. Really Perhaps tips, Stuart, Stuart Machen, the CEO of Marks and Spencers, who yeah. does a weekly uh, newsletter on LinkedIn. It's like, yep. honest, it's like, here's what's going on in the company. And therefore, my priorities as the CEO of M&S. Do you know what? I think that visible leadership is, is such a, a coming thing now. I mean, the idea of a CEO or anybody at C-level being very much just internal business operations. I think we're in a different world now, aren't we? We, we expect to see the voice of the person uh, for them to have opinions and for them to be visible. And as you say, Vicky, that is a demonstration um, of, of what the person's talking about. You're going to feel more motivated to get involved in this discussion if you see your leaders do that. Even if your soft start, for instance, might just be commenting or liking uh, something that your leaders put out there. Um, uh, you know, that's how typically most people start. You don't just cold start and write a massive essay. You get involved firstly with the soft stuff. Um, uh, yeah, thumbs up emoji and then a bit of comment and then soon at some point you post your own so leaders need to go ahead so maybe that's the first conversation an EV person needs to have is to just quickly have a look at who the leadership is and do they have the appetite and then if they don't uh, maybe that's the first conversation you have to see whether it's actually a viable thing at all um, brilliant Vicky um, okay how about you Rich one bit of advice you're going to give someone who's already committed to, to this idea just keep communicating. I think one of the big things is people start initiatives. It seems like a really good idea and then it goes quiet and then people don't see it's there. So keep communicating, keep talking to people about it, keep encouraging people and make sure there's visibility of when people are doing stuff that it's it's called out in a positive light. So again, to Vicky's point, there's that positive reinforcement and there's a view that not that this isn't going to go away, but actually this is something that's going to become part of our DNA, part of the fabric of what we do. 
really important point. So it's the permanence of the idea, right? So it's not just a campaign, quote unquote, because guess what? Whenever like marketing or TA come up with campaigns, I think most employees of the business just like, this is over in two weeks, you know, I've got work to do. Um, so you've got to, you've got to think, you know what, we're culturally changing the company. We're going to be more open and we're going to be engaging with the market in a much more transparent way. And that means everyone's empowered by that. So you've got to give it a sense of this permanence. And one of the ways to do it is to give updates, reports on what's going on. Um, and indeed, um, amplifying or highlighting those people that have, in fact, behaved in the way in which you you want to to be, to, to 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 see. Uh, so that's just amplifying the rewards and making sure shouting them out and all that type of stuff. Very very good. Um, okay, uh, Marion, your thoughts on this? Yes, I think I would absolutely agree. Leadership buy in, make them act as role models, then consistency and communication, like Rich said. Uh, and I would probably also add, um, you know, to to have some proper training, but, you know, think in a global way, but act in a local, think globally, but act locally. I know it sounds now a little bit cheesy, but I think that's, uh, that's very important to, um, you know, target these training and the resources really to the local uh, reality, because I also believe that, you know, not all 84,000 employees of Cisco, you know, uh, promote the brand in the same way, way in their local realities. Uh, so I think this, this I would add. Yeah. So the training comes back to the first point and, and actually J J J Jen, uh, Janage, I think it is, um, uh, Janay, I believe, um, is talking about where is there the resourcing for this folks. If you know, please put it in the chat stream, obviously, uh, sign up to bring food, but I don't think there's a lot of training on social media there. So I'd be interested to know, if, is, is, if there is a, a well-known resource where people can, can get access to this. Um, but I think the, um, uh, maybe the way in which to do it is to do a high level, here's how these things work, that can go to everybody. Uh, but then you go to departmental level or regional level, maybe provide some custom stuff. I do think, for instance, let's say you have a crisis in hiring, you know, into your AI department, for instance, probably you need to have a custom uh, uh, training uh, package there for people who are data scientists and what have you to say, hey, listen, have you thought about possibly talking a little bit more in these spaces in such a manner that would attract people to come in? So uh, kind of two levels, one across the piece, everyone can just get better at LinkedIn. Like we, we did this conversation uh, with Andy Foote on Wednesday, just basic stuff like posting frequency, things you shouldn't post, you know, uh, basic things like that just to give people a general uh, sort of uh, a foundation as to, as to what works, what doesn't. Um, and then you can be a little bit more customized and, uh, and, and bespoke. Um, okay, Adam, let's go to you as well. I mean, advice to, you know, a TA leader or a TA a person that's in charge of this, they, they need to activate their business, uh, their employee base. Uh, what would you, uh, what advice would you give that person? Enablement. Um, and... <laughs> We we'll oh. have to ban you from the show, man. Oh. <laughs> it's just like, I mean, it's the truth. Yellow, yellow card. Create, um, create, create, uh, create systems and processes for making content and assets and topics and things accessible to everybody in the organization, and make sure that it's really well signposted and it is, you know, easily accessible within their existing flow of work. 
I think that's actually relevant. It's that kind of sits in between the two things we want to talk about. No, but it sits in between the, the critique that we had, which is don't tell people to just re, you know, redistribute this corporate message. Um, and then the other end of it is like providing no materials or support. But if you provide some sort of library in between where people can access and, you know, by the way, folks, did you get this video, 60 seconds that we talked about this plan that we had? This would be great to share, et cetera. That's not something that is like particularly yeah. hard or difficult. So you create resources yeah. to help people talk. Vicky, you, you, you want to say yeah. something? So, and you don't need to do it in the dark, you know? So I think one of the most powerful insight tools to use to develop content, these assets to be able to support people, you've got to make it easy, right? Is to look at your pull surveys, look at the ones that talk about pride because that is an emotion. It's not about a thought, it's an emotion. And if you ask, look at all of the verbatim comments that you've got on your pulse engagement surveys, um, do you agree? I am proud to work for poetry, Adam. Um, then what they put there will be the kind of things that you will expect that they will want to talk about on LinkedIn or any other platform. So create content around those things. That's a really, really smart idea. Like, don't think that everyone else is going to generate the content spontaneously. Some percentage would, because um, that's interesting for them. But remember, going back to one of Marion's points, you've got to kickstart this at some point. Um, everyone uh, was a cold start on social media, right? Whoever it is, um, and I would include myself uh, in this, and even Adam, you know, who are probably like these days quite super prolific. Uh, but there was once upon a time where I was like, you know, what do I talk about? You know, what do I post? Um, so everyone is that is probably default, but you can provide some content from the internal uh, conversations you're having. Um, that can give you guidance. And maybe that's the role of VB to be able to provide that content on that material or those conversational topics that people can go ahead and use. Very, very good. Okay, cool. Uh, listen, we are going to have to finish on time. I'm, I'm going to do my best to basically finish at 60 to 60 minutes these days. I know we usually bleed on to about 70 minutes, but um, I, I see that there's maybe no reason to hang people on uh, this amount of time. So we're going to finish at this point. Let me take a, a moment to thank our amazing guests. So um, uh, Vicky Saunders, great to see you. Um, by the way, Vicky has written an amazing 20 questions response Brain Food Live is one of the funniest things I've ever read. Um, I would recommend everyone read this. Um, and uh, it, it, for people who don't know, Brain Food Live, Brain Food Tribune is an exercise that is available to every community member. Uh, you simply have to get in touch and volunteer to do it. But it's an exercise in introspection where I'm going to set you 20 questions to answer and you try and answer them as honestly as you can. It's our way to get to know you better. Um, uh, so it's stuff that's going to be personal, stuff that's coming away from your professional life per se, but it will get to know the person. And that's relevant if you're interested in doing anything, setting up your business, finding a job, whatever it might be. So um, welcome to this. Vicky's just done an amazing one. So make sure you check that out. Um, and if you're interested in getting involved, just email me or drop a comment on the, on, on the chat stream here. Um, okay. And uh, Rich, great to see you as well, sir. Um, if you are in Brick Lane this evening, let me know because that's probably where I'm going to be out in about two hours. Um, and Marion Jasak, great to see you as well, sir. Uh, how was the, before I let you go, how did the dinner go? Um, has that gone or what? What's happening? No, the dinner is next week. So if someone is in the live stream who works on employer brand in Berlin and wants to join an awesome dinner, 
just uh, sent me a message. <laughs> there we go. EB dinners in Berlin with Marion Jarzak. Make sure you get involved. All right, folks, that's it. Thank you so much to our crowd. Uh, great to see you all. We're back next week. Um, we are talking about how to go from TA to TA+. Plus. Um, what does all this mean, folks? This means that basically we're talking about um, how do you expand your scope? Um, so in other words, if you're TA and you're currently only hiring externally, guess what? I don't think that's necessarily the smartest place to be that focused on, particularly in market conditions like this, where you have to kind of take interest in internal mobility. You have to take an interest in uh, employee retention. You have to take care of things like L&D and all that type of thing. We have to expand scope. How do you do that? We've actually got four TA leaders that have gone into people ops and are starting to expand scope. They're going to tell us all about it. How do you do it? What do you learn? Why should you do it? Make sure you sign up for that. We'll see you next week on Friday, 2 p.m. Uh, join us for that. Cool. Okay, that's it. I was all right, wasn't it, mate? Yeah, thanks. That was really good. Um, it's a subject I love. Uh, I, I find it really interesting. This, Adam. I, I do beg your pardon. Um, that's because... all right. There's a because I, I only knew knew you from candidate ID. So there was a previous Adam that was a social media trainer, uh, and therefore you have some expertise there, which is which is yeah, I, yeah. I, I wasn't yeah. I, so the business social media search, which was 2009 till about 2016, I guess, was um was a, a lot of that. A lot of the early days, it was there was a lot of training and coaching and stuff like that. And I did a lot of it myself, and I certainly set up a lot of the frameworks for what then became systems and things like that. And then it really turned into a, we'll do it for you kind of business rather than like, we'll show you how to do it. Um, but yeah, no, I did, I did enjoy that. And it was, <laughs> I just found it funny when I went, I went onto Twitter and I, and I just went, uh, typed in my own Twitter handle and then I, I, I put in the words compelling magnetic to bring up old content. Cause I used to say it all the time how to be compelling and magnetic on social media, stuff like that. I think one of the things you're very good at is cliche, mate. Um, and, and I mean that in a positive way um, because you bang on about the same, but you understand the word association, the value of word association, um, and just banging on about the same thing, which I kind of you know, rib you a little bit about. But it kind of does put that connection in. Repetition is one of the key things uh, in branding, um, you know? So... By the time it look, look, you, I, I might be offended by like associating me with the word cliche. However, I take that as a big compliment because by the time it's become a cliche, that means it's embedded and my job has been done, right? Correct, correct. Talent pipelines. Talent pipeline was one. Uh, so magnetic and whatever was the first one. Compelling and magnetic. Yeah. There we go. Anyway, uh, what this weekend, man? Yeah, I do actually. Uh, it's the World Cycling Championships in Glasgow, so uh, we're going to some downhill BMXing tomorrow, mm. and then we are going to cycle ball and artistic cycling on Sunday. Wow. Artistic cycling—I don't even know what it is. I think it's dancing on a bike. Yeah. Um, cycle ball is literally football on a bike. I've seen that, and it looks extremely dangerous. Um, uh, unless, unless it's like polo, are they playing with sticks or they're kicking it? Or what? I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't know. I haven't quite. I've seen some pictures of that, but I haven't actually seen. Uh, uh, sure I have seen it. I just I'm thought sure it was. I bought, I bought the tickets like six months ago or something like that. But the yeah, yeah. downhill BMX tomorrow, that that'll be exciting. Be, oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. You. 
Brick, uh, Brick, Lane, Brick, Brick Lane from now till Monday. I am. I tell you what, I've been going out every single day this week, and I'm absolutely exhausted. Um, and uh, I've also like lost all of my att- attempt to make, lose weight because of eating all the time. Um, but my my uncle and auntie are in town, um, which I haven't seen seen them for ages. So I'm gonna go take them out tonight. Uh, that'll be a massive feed as well. But um, but yeah, well, uh, probably. But I, I'm kind of I'm, I'm chatting with my cousin now, and he's like saying, yeah, maybe we're overdoing it. Um, and it's like go somewhere else. But what will happen is though, we will choose somewhere else, like you know, some Colombian restaurant or something, and they'll just like dis- despise the food, and I'm not have a good time. So you know what I mean? It's like they're surprisingly conservative in terms of eating. Um, but we'll see. We'll, we'll they, figure it out. From, are they from Hong Kong? No, they were originally yes, but they they're actually from the northeast. So um, right. they, they've um, uh, very rarely come down to London. Just come down now. I think my uncle's finally retired so essentially you know pop down see his son which is my cousin um and uh we're, we're gonna go out and we'll, we'll catch up so that's the plan for tonight i just i just wanted to know if somebody like from hong kong comes to chinatown in london do they mm. go do they go this is not real chinese food or do they go yeah no this is pretty close it's pretty close i mean to be honest with you it is um the obviously there's 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 different levels um none of the buffet stuff would you see too much in 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 asia um but it's so cheap it's ridiculous i was there yesterday and you could like pile up a, a takeaway box for like seven quid and you see yeah. all these people piling in and like, okay listen yeah peak food you gotta go for it but yeah i mean chinatown's pretty legit man there's lots of decent places there yep all right, all right. enjoy take it easy